And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another. Zechariah 7, 9, and 10. I am Rob West. God is a God of justice and righteousness, and he expects the same from his people today. Today we'll talk about financial injustice. And then we'll take your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. In Psalm 139, 13, David praises God saying, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In his goodness and power, God made each of us in his image. Ephesians 2.10 confirms that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God intended for his people to be just and righteous as he is. Unfortunately, the world we live in has been spoiled by sin and we're faced with this reality every day. In the realm of finances, sins like greed, envy, dishonesty, and pride can lead to financial injustice. This happens when a person takes unfair advantage of someone else financially. According to God's Word, financial injustice takes many forms and has severe consequences. Uh, Let's look at a few examples. To those who mistreated the poor or disadvantaged, Proverbs 22.16 warns, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. And Proverbs 14.31 puts it this way, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Cheating in financial transactions is another kind of injustice that God hates. Here's Proverbs 20, verse 10. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike, an abomination to the Lord. God is certainly on the side of those who suffer the injustice of robbery and embezzlement. Psalm 12, 5 says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Robbery can also take the form of overcharging for rent or services, price gouging, and identity theft. I would contend that severely underpaying employees is also a form of theft and is unjust. Dishonesty in financial matters is another kind of injustice. God's Word specifically forbids lying and inequality in court. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. That's from Exodus 23. Obviously, God is powerfully opposed to injustice, and those who do it will have to answer to him. Galatians 6-7 is a warning. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. As Christians, we should feel the same way God does about injustice. Obviously, we must never participate in taking advantage of others. But what do we do when we see it happening? If financial injustice is taking place within your family or the church, follow Jesus' words from Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If you see someone breaking the law, be prepared to expose financial wrongdoing and report it to the authorities. 
There are some injustices that are beyond our reach, such as something we might see in the news. In those instances, prayer is also a powerful tool. Ask God to protect the oppressed and to expose evil. And what if you are the victim of financial injustice? Again, if the perpetrator is another believer, follow Jesus' command to go to them first. If that doesn't work, take it to the church. Outside of the church, you may have to take the problem directly to secular authorities. Get wise advice about whether to hire a lawyer or call the police. If you've been scammed, expose the evil. Don't let embarrassment keep you from reporting it. Your action in exposing wrongdoing might help someone else avoid what happened to you. Sometimes financial injustice is a matter of personal discrimination or unkindness against you. There may not be anything you can do about it except to hold on to your own integrity. Jesus knows about the injustices we experience. John 16.33 records it in his words, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. All right, your calls are next. The number is 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. I'm Rob West, and this is Faith and Finance Live. We'll be right back. The opinions offered during this program represent the personal or professional opinions of the participants given for informational purposes only. Any information provided is not intended to replace advice from a financial, medical, legal, or other professional who understands your specific situation. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. All right, it's time to take your calls and questions today on anything financial. The number to call with lines open is 800-525-7000. That's right, you can call right now, 800-525-7000. Hey, before we dive into your questions today, this makes uh, some headlines today. Can you handle an unexpected financial emergency of $1,000? Well, a new bank rate survey shows that only 44% of Americans could meet that financial hurdle without borrowing. Uh, And even though that's a one-point improvement over last year's survey results, a majority of respondents still would go into debt to meet that crisis. Uh, Two-thirds of the 1,000 people surveyed said they worry about covering monthly expenses if the primary breadwinner was laid off. Now, why aren't folks saving more? Well, 63% blamed high inflation for their inability to put money in the bank. And Bankrate is recommending a three-step process to prepare for a financial crisis. These are things we've been talking about a long time, but they really are the building blocks of financial stability. Number one, calculate how much emergency savings you need. We often talk about three to six months of expenses being ideal. If you don't know what you're spending over a month's time, you've got to start there. Second, open that account specifically for emergency use. I would uh, set up an automatic transfer to that account, and I generally recommend we use an online savings account. That way you can get at least a reasonable rate of return. Right now you can get up to 5% on high-yield savings with FDIC insurance and then link it to your checking account. That automatic transfer every month 
is going to allow you to, allow you to uh, budget that into your plan so you can start building up that emergency fund and don't spend that on other things. So this is really important. We need to be able to cover the unexpected. And by the way, if you don't know what you're spending in uh, on a month's basis, well, uh, download the FaithFi app. Our track-only option is the kind of uh, uh, least amount of work on your part uh, because you can automatically download all your transactions. It'll automatically categorize them, and at least you can see what you're spending on a monthly basis so you can start to work into your spending plan and your budget. You can download the FaithFi app in your app store. Just search for FaithFi, or you can get it on our website at faithfi.com and just click on the app button. All right, we're going to head to the phones. We've got some lines open. We're ready for you. Whatever your financial question is today, give us a call at 800-525-7000. You can call right now. All right, let's go to Boca Raton. Hi, Marilyn. How can I help? Hi, I'm inquiring about a reverse mortgage. Okay. I don't know the details. I had been told by a friend that you had to have a certain value in the home before they would do it. Yeah. My home is around 200000 Okay. And do you owe anything on the home? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's really about uh, the the minimum equity that you have to have. So generally it's 50% equity to qualify for a reverse mortgage, meaning if your home was worth 200000 you couldn't owe more than 100000 on it. Uh, and you have to be at least uh, 62 years old. What is your age? I'm older. <laughs> Okay, very good. So, yeah, you would qualify then because you've got 100% equity because you own your home free and clear and you're at least 62 years old. Now, uh, I would consider a reverse mortgage a planning tool, uh, which means it can be used in some cases very effectively, in other cases not so much. Uh, You're obviously completely debt-free. That's a good thing, and a lot of our listeners, and I would certainly affirm this, really have a conviction to get out of debt and stay there. A reverse mortgage would allow you to systematically pull that equity back out either as a line of credit, so you could tap on it if you needed it. Let's say you needed long-term care, you know, down the road and you didn't have the money to pay for it. Uh, Well, at that point, if you sold the house, then it wouldn't be an option. But if you kept it, um, you know, you'd have the ability to pull out some expenses for maybe in-home care or something like that. Other folks will take a monthly uh, income Uh, from the reverse mortgage. So a check every month, and that's going to systematically pull the equity out of the house. You'll, of course, pay interest on it and fees, but it's a way to create some income because often in this season of life, and this may be where you find yourself, Marilyn, we're really cash poor, but we're sitting on this major asset that is our home. We want to stay there. As long as you have the ability to pay the taxes and the insurance, you plan to keep it, then it's a way to systematically pull that equity back out, which allows you to have some cash flow, some income that alongside Social Security may help you meet your obligations and you know have a better quality of life. The nice thing about the reverse mortgage, and this is one of the key differences uh, with a reverse mortgage or what's often called a home equity conversion mortgage that makes it different from a traditional or conventional mortgage is that you're not personally guaranteeing it. The government is. And so with a reverse mortgage, the collateral for the loan is never going to be, or or the the balance is never going to be more than the home will satisfy. Uh, What I mean by that is you can't pull more out 
then you have the ability to pay back through the sale of your home, either when you sell it or it's sold by your estate after your death. Um, if it ever grows beyond what your home is worth, the government would step in and pay that. That's not the case with a conventional mortgage. Normally, you're personally guaranteeing it. So if there's a balance left over after the home is sold, you are then responsible for that. So that's a big difference. But give me uh, just a quick understanding, Marilyn, of why you're considering a reverse mortgage and how you think it might help. Because I'm just living off of a little income and my Social Security. Yeah. And I just... I'm just making it. Okay. Yeah. So you're just <laughs> and getting by and you could use a little a more. Time job. We'll see yeah. if they'll let me, if they'll happen. Yeah. Uh, but what's this about the government? If I, oh, I didn't quite understand that part. Yeah. Let me try to make that a little simpler. So with a conventional mortgage, so a, a typical mortgage, you're personally guaranteeing the loan, which means uh, if you, if the house, when it's sold, doesn't, Uh, sell for enough to cover the balance on the mortgage, then you're personally responsible. With a reverse mortgage, that's not the case. The only collateral that is there for the loan is the home itself. So for instance, let's say they pay you a monthly check through the reverse mortgage and you live to 140 and they pay you more than your home is worth when it's sold. You're not responsible for that. The government is. So you don't ever have to worry about owing more to the reverse mortgage company than the value of your home when it's sold. Does that make sense? Oh, now I understand. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's a good thing. Um, here's what I would do to learn more. I'd uh, visit with our friends at Movement Mortgage. Uh, go to, are you comfortable on the Internet, Marilyn? No. Okay. All right. Let's do this. You stay on the line. We'll get your information and I'll get somebody in touch with you to maybe give you a little bit more explanation and and help you understand exactly what you need to know. It could be a great tool, again, for those folks who can uh, keep their property uh, insurance and homeowners insurance paid. They want to stay in their home. They need a little bit of extra income. Uh, This is certainly a way to accommodate that without you having to sell it or go out and get, you know, a part-time job in this season of life, as you said. So, Marilyn, stay on the line. Our team will get your information, and I'll get somebody in touch with you. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. We've got a lot of great questions coming up. We'll tackle those just around the corner. But we have room for a few more. The number, 800-525-7000. Stick around. Thanks for joining us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions today, 800-525-7000. Let's go back to the phones. West Lafayette, Indiana. Jorge, thanks for calling. How can I help? Hello. Hi there. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I just want to say I appreciate you and this network. I listen to it every day. (laughs) Well, thank you. uh, I'm a college student right now. Okay. Uh, trying to get my finances together. I have a little over $20,000 in credit card debt, and I have about half of that in a bank account um, in my checking. Uh, I have an option of applying for another credit card for 16 months, no interest, and transferring the balance over and paying it off that way, or should I try to... Um, pay it off with what I have with my bank account now or what advice would you give me to 
lower this debt that I have? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm glad to hear you're really thinking hard about how you get out from under this, because that certainly needs to be priority number one, you know, financially as you move forward. Uh, what led to the debt in the first place, Jorge? What, what did you spend this money on? Oh, uh, just college things, trying to travel, paying for meals and, you know, things that weren't necessary in my life. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I get it. Listen, we've all been there and, and made some mistakes, things we wish we would have changed. But uh, the key is to be faithful in managing God's money, you know, from this point forward. Um, have you corrected the issue that led to it? And and in that, I'm wondering what income do you have and are you living on a budget and are you able to live within your means at this point? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, all of that that I occurred uh, were over a uh, few years, but I've been able to um, cut back on, you know, things like eating out, been cooking more, uh, been not going out and things of that nature. So that part is settled. But uh, as for budgeting, you know, that's still hard because this is new for me. I never was taught that. Um, so yeah. it really is ground zero for me handling my finances. Got it. Yeah, no, that's helpful. I appreciate your honesty on that. And, and this is a skill you can develop over time, uh, but you need to work at it without question. So you said you're in school. Are you working while you're going to school? Uh, I'm in uh, graduate school, so I get paid uh, biweekly from my uh, fellowship. Okay, got it. Uh, and so you're not adding any more debt as a result of your schooling at this point, or do you have student loans? Uh, I do have loans from undergrad. However, those are deferred until I graduate. But, you know, luckily, uh, it's only but $5,000 of student loans that I have. Okay. Yeah. Uh, other loan that I have is just car loan, and that's also worth 20000 So um, right now, I'm sitting about 45000 debt. But car payments I'm making, uh, the student loan, I was waiting until I graduate on get an industry job. The main thing now is just that credit card. Got it. Yep. Okay, very good. Well, there's a couple of options there. I mean, certainly I want you to get out from under that as quickly as possible. I wouldn't want you to spend down all of your savings to nothing because then if you had a month where you, you know, you go above uh, you know, what you've budgeted or you had something unexpected. Now all of a sudden we're back into putting things on credit cards and we really want to get out from under that once and for all. Uh, could you do the balance transfer? Yeah. Uh, the problem with that is just so often, and I've seen this happen so many times, Jorge, is that the pressure comes off because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, well, I'm not paying any interest. So I'll just send the minimum. And it just kind of hangs around and we don't break the cycle. So I'd rather you get out from under it once and for all. So it's probably a common combination of once you've demonstrated to yourself that you can live on a budget and do that consistently, uh, then we're probably going to want to take a portion of that 10000 to reduce the credit card debt, hang on to a portion that's equal to probably six months worth of your living expenses. So total up everything you're spending over a month's time, multiply it by six. That's what we want to keep in savings. Um, three months at a minimum, and then take the rest, pay toward the credit cards. And then I would suggest you use a credit counseling program uh, with our friends at Christian Credit Counselors. They'll help you set up one level monthly payment, just like your car payment that you'll pay every month. But the interest rates will be a lot lower than they are now, or interest rate if you only have one card. 
And then, you know, you'll at least be making some significant progress every month toward paying that debt down. We got you on a budget. You know, we stopped the cycle of spending uh, beyond your means because you got the the um, the uh, emergency fund there. And, you know, I think then you're in good shape. So what I'd like to do is two things. Number one is I want you to call Christian Credit Counselors or go online, ChristianCreditCounselors.org, and talk to them about a debt management program. Number two, I'm going to have one of our certified Christian financial counselors connect with you if you're open to it and teach you some of the basics of, you know, how to set up a spending plan and maintain it. How does that sound? That sounds amazing. I do appreciate that. Yeah, happy to. So listen, you stay on the line. We're going to get your information. We'll get somebody in touch with you. There won't be any charge for it. They'll help you get that budget set up. And then ChristianCreditCounselors.org, whatever you and the counselor decide you're comfortable paying toward the credit cards, then you can make a lump sum payment toward the 20000 and then the balance put into the credit counseling program with one monthly payment and lower interest rates. All right? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. All right. Very good. Thanks for your call today. We appreciate it. Uh, to Fort Lauderdale. Hi, Mary. Go ahead. Hi, there. Um, thank you for taking my call. Excuse me. Excuse me. My question okay. is, yeah. is there any way I can alert on my inherited property, which is laying or... Yeah, let's do this, Mary. Unfortunately, your your line, I, we can't hear you clearly, but I want to hear your question. I think you're asking about an alert uh, for a piece of property related to your title. But let's do this. Our team is going to make sure we get that line cleared up so we can hear you nice and clear. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll come right back to you and get your question answered. And then Jody, coming your way. Kara, you as well. Plus, we have uh, three of our of our 10 lines open right now at 800-525-7000. If you have a financial question today, we'd love to hear from you. Folks, we want to help you see God is your true treasure and money is a tool. We'll do that next right after this break. Stay with us. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. Unfortunately, we were not able to get Mary's line cleaned up. Well, or maybe so. Let's see. Mary, do we have you there? I am here. Okay, that sounds better. All right, go ahead with your question. Okay, my question is, is there any way I can place an alert on um, inherited property, which is land, if someone tries to sell it or if they're trying to use it for some type of collateral? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. You know, we hear more and more about this, especially with these products that claim they can protect you if someone uh, tries to, um, you know, file a fraudulent deed on your property. Uh, we don't recommend the that title insurance or that, you know, that claims to lock your deed. Um, you know, typically what I would recommend is that you contact the county a deed office where your property is located for more information. You might be able to do that online and ask them if, if they have an alert system uh, that's free, because that would be the first option um, that I would look for. And and more and more counties are offering that service where if, if there's any kind of change to the deed, you are alerted. Now they may not, especially if it's in a rural area, 
the worst case scenario is, is if someone were to file a false deed and take out a loan on the property, no lender could foreclose because it's a fraudulent deed and the foreclosure wouldn't stand up in court. It's still fraud at the end of the day. So the lender would be on the hook for the money, not you. Um, so in my mind, the the likelihood that that would create even a hassle for you is, is low enough that it's just not worth paying somebody to quote unquote monitor the status of your deed. But again, I would contact the county deed office and just see if there's any option that they might offer as a courtesy to provide an alert to you. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you so very much. I'll okay. do that. All right, Mary, thanks for your call today. Glad we got you on. Uh, 800-525-7000. We've got two lines open. Uh, let's uh, talk to Jody in Chicago. Go right ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I have a, a account at Fidelity, and, it's in the, and the money is in a cash status now because I lost so much money um, years ago during the pandemic. So it's just sitting in cash. I will be 71 March 31st, and I want to know when – is the RMD that I have to take yearly. What is that about? Yes. Uh, So you will need to take your first required minimum distribution, Jody, in the year uh, you turn 73 since you reached uh, the age you are now after, or since you'll reach 71 uh, after December 31st of 2022 because you're turning 71 this year. Uh, so what would typically happen is uh, your you know plan administrator or custodian would notify you uh, in writing of the amount you need to take out, uh, and you'd want to make sure that you do because the penalty is pretty high. It's 25% of the amount you needed to withdraw, so you want to make sure you do it. You have for the first year of an RMD, you have until April the 1st of the following year. Um but then it'd be December 31st of each year. And the IRS publishes a table that basically says the amount you need to take, and it's a function of your age and your balance on the account that will determine the required minimum. But um, because you're turning 71 this year in March, you won't have to take it until you're 73, and you can take it as late as April of the following year. Oh, okay. Even though this money was the previous uh, job I had, uh, this money was in an IRA account, and uh, I took it out and just is sitting in cash because so much money was lost. So that that's pertaining to also the money that's sitting in cash right now. Yeah, it really doesn't matter what investments it's it's in. So it could be in stocks, bonds, or cash. As long as it's inside either a 401k or an IRA or another pre-tax retirement vehicle, it's going to be subject to those required minimums. Okay, and this is something, it's a minimum that has to be taken yearly. That's right. It yeah. has to be taken, and they would notify me how much based on what's in the account that has to be taken down. That's typically the way it works, but I would make sure that you 
you are proactive on this. Don't wait for somebody to tell you. And, you know, when you turn 73, it's going to be due up until April 1st of that following year and then December 31st each year. But make sure you work with your CPA if you use a tax preparer to calculate that amount. Uh, Get it out of the account on time because you don't want to pay that penalty. Uh, The other thing you may want to look at is um, if you don't need that money, and you're doing some giving to your church or other favorite ministries or charities, and you're doing that out of cash, you could do your giving uh, out of the IRA and replace the the giving you were doing out of cash, and then you wouldn't have to pay tax on it. But it would also satisfy that required minimum. It's called, it's called a qualified charitable distribution. So that might be something to look at as well when that time comes, okay? Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Jody. Appreciate your call. Uh, to Alabama. Hi, Kara. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, so I'm a newlywed. I'm 22, and uh, my husband and I are debt-free, but um, what the way we de- are debt-free is we built a tiny house, um, and he's in his last year of college, so we have that expense, too. But currently, you know, we don't have a mortgage, uh, no car payments, no student loans. But, um, you know, we are wanting to start looking at saving more for, um, you know, a house to grow our family in the next year or two. And, like, we we're both from families. Um, You know, my mom did her best with financial literacy but still you know we both watched our parents struggle growing up and so we're just kind of scratching our heads trying to figure out the best steps to take I guess yeah boy I love what you're talking about here Kara and you know you all are doing it right I mean you're debt free you're living modestly uh, you're really being thoughtful about how to manage God's money wisely and uh, you know put a strong financial foundation under you And that's just really critical. Um, You know, as you look at your finances, obviously your ability to save for that house is going to come out of margin. So we take a step back, we look at our values and our goals, and we talk about where God is taking us and how money can be a tool to accomplish that. And then we set up a spending plan around whatever lifestyle we believe God has called us to, of course, living within our means, but our ability to live under that, meaning having some margin or some cushion left over is vital because that's what funds our goals, whether that's saving for a house or getting out of debt or, you know, increasing our giving. So do you all have any margin at the end of the month, just based on your current budget? Sorry, can you repeat that? Yeah. You know what? It looks like you're, you're breaking up a little bit. Um, what I wanted to know is, do you have anything left over at the end of the month currently? You? Uh, we about five to 600 each month left over. Okay, five to 600. Yeah, so I mean, the key there is, I think, just set up a separate savings account and just start putting that aside. As long as you've got that emergency fund of three to six months expenses, then the next goal is just to save for that down payment. And so set up an automatic transfer to a separate savings account just for that home down payment. Let's talk a bit more off the air, Kara. We'll be right back on Faith and Finance Live. Stick around.
Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. We're going to get back to the phones here in just a moment. But first, it's Friday. It's not Friday. It's Monday, which means Bob Dahl is here. Bob is CEO of Crossmark Global Investments. He's a Wall Street veteran and a Christ follower and gives graciously us some time each week to weigh in on the markets uh, and uh, the economic status here in this country. Bob, good afternoon. Happy Friday. I mean, Monday. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, sir. Exactly right. Hey, uh, do you do you want to look in the rearview mirror or the windshield? Which one? Where are we going? <laughs> Let's do a little of both. All right. Um, what you got? You know, uh, so so rearview mirror um, earnings are coming through for the fourth quarter. Mediocre, Rob, is the right way to put it. And there's some estimate reductions. Having said that, people are focused on, now let's look out the windshield, people are focused on the fact that uh, the economy is doing okay, doesn't seem to be slowing as much as many of us thought. Uh, The GDP deflator, an important measure of inflation, along with PCE, uh, is coming in at uh, less than expected. So that's good news on inflation. And so people are saying, I guess I better buy some stocks. Today we had an up market as a result of the um, government announcing the next financing of government securities. And there aren't going to be as many as expected. So there's another little bit of good news. And so the market's gone higher. Yeah, no question. Uh, you know, Bob, have we just gotten so comfortable with the easy money, uh, you know, policies of the Fed that if we ever tried to f- truly take that out of the equation, we'd really have some problems? I mean, where do we find ourselves today? Yeah, so, so you know, you've heard me sing this song before. If valuations weren't so full, PE of 20, for example, it'd be a lot easier to to have a forgiving attitude toward um, the fact that good news is good news and bad news is good news and stocks just go up. But when you're selling at an expensive level like that, things have to go nearly perfectly. And uh, we we know that's not the case. But for the moment, for the moment, the market wants to go higher. Look, until earnings growth slows notably more than we've seen and or people come to the view that the Fed isn't going to cut rates as many times as expected because the economy is okay, um, uh, markets path of least resistance is higher. But one of those two things shows up and they might both show up. I think the market might stop dead in its tracks for a while and just go sideways. If not yeah, the one, the one that seems like certainly plausible is, I mean, we've priced in, I guess you could say, at least three Fed rate reductions. Some, In some cases, folks think up to six for this year. And yet, if the data keeps coming in as strong as it does, this is not an environment where the, the policymakers are going to have any kind of confidence in cutting rates, right? Exactly right. And, and a proof statement of that is the cut in March that was expected at year end with a 65% probability is now down to 10%. So people are backing off. The Fed's going to get started cutting rates soon. It's going to be later. Yeah. All right. Uh, final question, Bob. What about the breadth of this rally? I know uh, when I looked last, uh, small caps were still off 20%, you know, from their highs. Uh, so what is this rally looking like? And is it still fairly concentrated? 
It's very concentrated, Rob. Um, um, 13 stocks account for the entire gain of the market so far this year. Wow. Well, that means the other 487 have netted close to zero. Um, you remember we had the broadening of the market and small stocks did better in that November-December rally. We turn the calendar page, and it's back to a very narrow market, which is not healthy. I don't think that we can repeat what we did last year, where just a few stocks take the market a lot higher. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, we'll certainly keep an eye on it. Listen, my friend, thanks for your time, as always. Have a great week. Bye. All right. That's Bob Dahl. He's Chief of Executive Officer at Crossmark Global Investments. You can uh, check out his Dahl's Deliberations, his free weekly investment commentary at CrossmarkGlobal.com. All right. Back to the phones. Let's uh, get to as many calls as we can before we round out the program today to Modesto, California. Hi, Juan. Go ahead. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So me and my wife, we've been tithing uh, every month consistently for years now. And we had the question, uh, is tax season coming up? So we wanted to know, uh, in our, in your view, uh, would we need to take tithe out of our taxes since we've been taking them out? The reason why we're asking is we're trying to put together that six month um, savings. And we've been, we've been working with uh, kingdom advisors. So we just wanted to know your view on that. Yeah, I love that. Um, listen, I love your desire to be generous and to be faithful and consistent in your giving. And I think that follows the pattern of New Testament giving. It's giving cheerfully and freely and sacrificially. Uh, you know, we see the model of the tithe from the Old Testament. Jesus references it in the New, but we're not under the law any longer. And so I think it's a great guideline. I would say it's a starting point. Uh, but Jesus also raises the bar in the New Testament. All that to say, I don't think we should be legalistic about it, but I love it as a guideline. And if we're applying the principle of the tithe, well, then we want to give on our increase. So is your question one whether you would tithe on a tax refund or something else? Yes, a tax refund. Okay, yeah. Uh, So you wouldn't, because if you're giving a tithe uh, off of your increase on a on a gross basis, meaning before taxes, then you've already paid tax, you've already given a tithe on all of your income. And therefore the money that's returned to you uh, from overpayment of taxes uh, is not an increase. They're just returning money and you've already given a tithe on it. Okay. Well, that that helps us when we come to tax season, make a feel uh, (laughs) at ease. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it's it's really, uh, again, you know, we have to apply the principle of the increase. And, and there's some cases a tax refund would be one of those where that's not an increase at all. It's just you made a tax-free loan to the government. But when you got paid, if you're tithing on the gross amount, meaning before taxes and any other deductions, then you've, you've paid a tithe to the, your church. And now the government is saying, hey, you, you overpaid us. We're going to give you a little bit of that back. That's really not an increase. But it's a great question, and I appreciate you asking it. Hey, thanks for calling today. We appreciate you being on the program. Let's go to Indy. Uh, hi, Sandra. How can we help? Hi. Thanks for my, taking my call. Sure. Um, so I am a single mother in Indiana, and I currently have my home in the name of my trust. And my son recently turned 19, and I was wanting to know if it would be easier and cleaner to have my home into a TOD or a quick claim deed. 
Yeah, you'd want to use the TOD uh, if you're looking for the transferring of the property efficiently, which is allowable in Indiana. Not all states allow the transfer on death deed. And that's going to allow it to pass to your son without going through probate. Uh, now, the, the difference between that and a quit claim deed is if you did a quit claim deed, he would go ahead and get the property now. You would It would be essentially a gift to him. You'd have to report it to the IRS. But the reason you don't want to do that is because then he would keep your cost basis uh, as opposed to if he gets it through the TOD, there's a stepped-up basis. And what that simply means is the cost basis determines whether or not there's a capital gain or a loss when it's sold. And so let's say you know you all pass away, he sells it. If he got it through the TOD deed, well, his cost basis would jump up to the market value as of the date of death, so there is no gain, and therefore he pays no tax. If you give it to him before your death through a quit claim deed, he keeps your cost basis, which invariably is lower than what he would sell it for, and then he would have to pay capital gains tax on uh, all of that gain. Does that make sense? Okay. Oh yeah, total. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the All the right. TOD Here is the is. way to go if if you don't have a trust. Sounds good. Uh, well, right. I do have a trust, and it is in the name of the trust. Would a TOD oh. be better? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'd talk to your estate attorney about it, but the trust is as long as the house is in the name of the trust, that's going to pass outside of probate as well. So I don't I don't know that it's necessary. I mean, it's just a a hassle. Uh, to go ahead and transfer it out, you know, to add the TOD deed. When you've already got it in a trust, you've really already handled the efficient transfer of this outside of probate by way of it being titled in the name of your revocable trust. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So I think you're all set. If you have questions on it, though, I would direct those back to your attorney. Thanks for your call, Sandra. We appreciate you being on the program today. Let's finish up in Woodstock, Georgia. Go ahead, Brenda. Hey, Rob. Thank you for taking my call. I'm sure. excited to hear your opinion on this. Um, my husband and I are 51. Um, our, we've got one kid left in the house, and we have quite a large home that we really don't need all the space. But um, it's just very expensive, and uh, we have a lot of equity in the house, and I would really like to downsize and um, knock out debt. I feel like the Lord is really impressed upon me to get out of debt as soon as possible. Um, and I'm finding that difficult to do um, where we're living. Um, <clears throat> and uh, also, we don't have a um, emergency savings. So with the equity in our home, we would be able to set up an emergency savings, pay off all of our debts. Um, and then what I wanted to do was rent for a year or two yeah. uh, and just take um, our earnings and put them in a CD or savings and um, just add to that while we rent and yeah. um, search for uh, a lower, uh, you know, um, retirement home. Sure. And what, what kind of debt do you have other than the mortgage? What else would you be paying off? Um, we do have an auto loan and we have, um, a, we have two credit cards and um, then we have two daughters that are going to be getting married <laughs> okay. coming okay. up. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so okay. Uh, yeah, so that, essentially like said, you'd be pulling 
Yeah, no, I get it. And so you're looking to downsize and in the process, perhaps taking some of that equity and paying off some of this debt and socking it away for some of these other goals. I mean, I I get where you're coming from. And I think if you have too much house, especially in this season of life you're heading into, this might be a great time for you to downsize either way. I would just be really thoughtful about how you use that equity and make sure you're on a spending plan. Let's do this. Stay on the line. I want to get your information and get a counselor in touch with you since I didn't have enough time to really think this through, but it's a great question. Faith and Finance Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and Faith Five. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow.